You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Sarah. And hey, it's Grace. And today I'm going to tell you the story of Cassie Gross. And she's a woman who's been missing from Latrobe, PA, since 2018. So we're coming up on four years here. But evidence pointing to a homicide is so strong that she's actually already legally been declared dead. Wow. Yeah. So 51-year-old Cassandra Gross, she went by Cassie, called her mother Kathy on her way home from having lunch with a friend around 3.35 p.m. on April 7th, 2018 in southwest Greensburg. She was on Route 30 driving her red 2016 Mitsubishi Outlander. I know that's a lot of information, but it'll come up in a minute. And also, I looked it up just to see what it looked like because I'm car shopping and it's like a cute, like sporty little SUV. I'm like... (laughs) She had such good taste. Better than the current SUV you have? Yeah, a little bit. That one we're about to be Flintstoning soon. So this one was much cuter. (laughs) Um, But in her Mitsubishi Outlander, she was headed west to her apartment in Latrobe. So we are in Western PA here just to orient you guys and just to let you know that I'm a little bit of like a fish out of water here because I'm just not as, what is the word? knowledgeable in this area since I'm there's from the there's definitely a word end. for it and I can't think of it either less familiar with the area sure yeah but I mean if we mess up um just comment you yes. guys fix our Pittsburgh stuff all the time we're clearly eastern state people clearly yeah I'm sorry so Kathy and Cassie made plans to meet the next day Unfortunately, this is recorded as the last time anybody spoke to Cassie. The next day, April 8th, she failed to show up for work at her job as an administrative assistant for ABB in Forest Hills, which is just a big industrial company. I had to look that up as well. But uh, the day after that, April 9th, her father stopped by her place to let her dog Baxter out. So Cassie's dad and aunt would stop at Cassie's house during the week to let the dog out and feed him while Cassie was at work. Uh, But when Cassie his dad got there he realized that Baxter wasn't there and that was super weird because he knew that Cassie wouldn't have taken Baxter to work due to numerous health problems and but Cassie's car wasn't there so when they tried to call her and she wouldn't answer her cell they called her job to find out that Cassie hadn't shown up that day or the day before interesting so that is when her family decided to call the police and then her parents drove around looking for her or her car later that day baxter who was blind and diabetic was found wandering alone in the beady crossroads area not sure if i said that right definitely not familiar with the area and i'm not exactly sure where that is but apparently it's quite a ways from cassie's home like that makes me so sad because baxter was her baby like she would never want him wandering out there alone and he was blind and diabetic i know i have like such a heart for like rescue dogs and senior dogs and this kills me And the day after that, after Baxter was found and she was reported missing, uh, her Mitsubishi Outlander was found burned almost beyond recognition near train tracks in a wooded area near Twin Lakes Park in Hempfield Township. I I don't think that's accidental. No, it doesn't sound accidental. Burned almost beyond recognition. 
Right. It's like, I'm pretty sure they figured out um, it was her car just from the license plate. It feels like the equivalent to having to use dental records to identify a body. Right. So now I'm sure you're getting to this anyway, but you said that this is a missing person's case. So I'm assuming she was not in the vehicle. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, And again, I don't know Cassie's exact address or the exact area the car was found because the park is fairly large. Um, But that seems to be a good distance away from her home as well. So police immediately set their sights on Thomas Stanko. And in my brain, I call him Thomas Stinko. (laughs) That's fantastic. And he deserves it. So so as long as he deserves it, I'm cool with it. Exactly. Um, A lot of news sources have described him as Cassie's boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend, but I actually spoke with Cassie's cousin, Jennifer, and she said that the two dated very briefly, but Cassie told him she just wanted to be friends, and then he promptly started stalking and threatening her. He even threatened to commit suicide outside her door at one point. Wow. Yeah. These things... This is hard. He would text her nonstop, follow her when she left her house, and would ring her doorbell so much that she eventually had a neighbor disconnect it for her. Like, how childish is that, that he's just outside ringing her doorbell? Like, I mean, when I was a kid, I would do that if it was just, like, me and my brother home, just to annoy the crap out of him. But not, yeah, that's... That wouldn't even cross my mind to do to someone. Especially, like, I wonder if it was, like, a normal doorbell that rang through the house or if it was, I mean, it was 2018, like, if it was, like, a ring or a nest or something. Yeah. That would be even kind of creepier since they have the cameras. Yeah, I have no idea. But either way, she had to disconnect it, so. Jeez. Uh, One time he showed up at her door with a gun. Goodness. One time he followed her to her parents' house and there was a confrontation. He texted her after that saying that she would never get rid of him unless she moved out of state or killed him. Those are two very drastically different scenarios. Yeah. Like, especially she lived in Latrobe. Like, it wouldn't have been an insane move for her to move to Ohio or West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Like she could probably keep her job and still commute from a different state. I wonder, um, and I don't know, maybe you get into this, but did he have, like, was he on parole or something that he couldn't leave the state? Ooh, well, that that would, we'll get to that. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll shut up. But also her son, she had a son and he lived out of state with his wife. So I don't know if he was saying like, go live with them or oh, what he was basically, I mean, He's like, you'll have to kill me to get rid of me, basically, which is a mess. I'm still stuck on the fact, like, those are very different extremes. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, you can either move, right, which I feel is a normal threat. Like, if you get out of my zone, I'll stop stalking you. Or you can murder me. I Maybe it's just tired brain, but that just baffles me. Yeah, he was a mess. Jennifer, her cousin, describes him as mentally unstable and he drank a lot, which is not a winning combination. And also to go off on sort of a tangent, like it drives me absolutely insane when guys are like, why can't women just be upfront if they're not interested in a guy? Like, 
Because shit like this ends up happening when the dude won't take no for an answer. Like, it's really scary out there. Of course, this is an extreme situation. Right. But, like, a lot of guys have very fragile egos and mental states, apparently. And And somebody that is mentally unstable who drinks a lot typically is not. I mean, you know, if when my husband had approached me at first, if I had said no, like he probably would have left me alone. But like, he's also not mentally unstable. Serious. Fully, only a little bit. But you have to be to have life with me. So, yeah, it's just really scary. And especially because even now, people in general and the police don't seem to take stalking as seriously as they should, because we've seen escalations like this before. Right. So it's really something that you need to pay attention to. Uh, And Jennifer said that her family kept begging Cassie to get a PFA, but Stanko had threatened to hurt her parents if she called the police. So he's just getting her on all fronts. I mean, imagine someone threatening your parents if you call the police on them. That's terrifying. What's what's even... I I guess weirder or more terrifying, I'm not sure which way I want to go with the emotion, is that, like, these aren't just people in their 20s. Like, these are fully blown adults. You said she was in her 40s, 50s? She was uh, 52. Sorry. Uh, Yes, 51 when she went missing, yes. Okay. And he was, I want to say, 48 at this time. Okay, so this isn't, like... A creepy high school boyfriend following you to college. Like, these are grown-ass adults. Mm-hmm. Or I should say he's a grown-ass adult. Like, mm-hmm. she was not doing anything wrong. But Sure. Jeez. And I mean, she's 51, so I imagine her parents are getting up there in years. Considered, right. you know, elderly. And imagine someone is threatening your elderly parents, just putting you in that kind of position. Right. So, yeah, he really had her from a bunch of different angles. Um, But Jennifer knew as soon as she heard Cassie was missing that it was him. Wow. She didn't need any other information. She knew. I feel like I don't need any other information. <laughs> yeah. And I barely know anything yet. Yeah. Uh, just a side note, um, mental health evaluation was ordered for Stanko about six months after Cassie's disappearance as he was sitting in jail for unrelated charges that we'll get into. But apparently he cool. was crying a cool. lot, his defense attorney said. Just crying okay. a lot. Okay. Mm. A, a lot was happening to him. And a lot of people try to cry when they're in jail so they look better on the stand. Oh, yeah. He made like a bunch of appeals and everything. But oh, um, of course he did. And like I said, this was unrelated to her. Right. But and, you know, of course. You try to be sensitive to people with mental health issues because it's really tough. And like we both know that. But I mean, if you're going to be an. I mean, I feel like if I was stalking someone, don't use my mental health diagnoses to say she'll be okay. Like, no. Mm. I mean, I also don't plan on stalking people, but. Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on you. Yeah. So naturally, investigators quickly obtained warrants to search two of his properties. They found 17 guns, assorted ammunition, and an all-terrain vehicle that was reported stolen in the 90s. That's like, it's just so 
it's like funny to me. Like the rest of them are just very serious. And then like, here's an ATV that was reported from stolen the 90s. in the 90s. Yeah. And I'm sorry, like it's it's not funny, but it really is funny. Like, could you imagine finding that and being the person that enters it in the system in 2018, 2019, and it pops up something that was stolen 20 years ago? Yeah. I just that uh, that cracks me up. Like, how'd you get away with that? <laughs> did you just never use it? I don't and wh- know. Why did you keep it for 20 years <laughs> I don't know. or more than 20 years? Right. Depending on when in the 90s. Yeah. But, exactly. Oh, my gosh. So also in the 90s, he was convicted of multiple felonies. There it is. One of them involved him shooting at the residence of a retired police officer. Great. And at one point in 2015, he apparently assaulted someone in a cemetery at a funeral service. What is wrong with this dude? I do, he is Stinko. I know, right? Um, I do know that this particular cemetery, I'm 99% sure, um, like borders his property or potentially part of it is his property. So I'm wondering if there was some sort of dispute about property. Not that it excuses anything, but it's still just, not the right way to handle it. It's but. just so when I was reading about it, I was like, excuse me. It's like assault and um, something else at a memorial service in the cemetery. I'm like, It's one of those things wow. that if someone wrote it in a book and took it to a publishing company, The publishing company would say, no, this sounds too fake. Yeah, exactly. Like, who would do that? No one would do that. Stinko would do that. Stinko did it. So because of these felonies, he was not allowed to possess those 17 guns. Cool. Great. Yeah, right? So he was charged in state court with receiving stolen property and 28 counts of illegal possession of a firearm. I'm guessing that included, like, ammunition and stuff, too, because I'm like, 17 and 28 are different numbers, but... I don't know the law, so, but either way, the state charges were dropped soon after, like all of them, but uh, he was charged in federal court with two counts of illegal possession of a firearm. I wonder if that's like, if you are willing to plea on a federal level, if they'll forgive the state level, because the federal is going to stay on your record anyway, and it's going to reflect worse than a state sentence would right yeah does that make sense i i'm not sure um on the facebook page for cassie there was a copy of his indictment for those illegal firearm charges but i think it was the state one okay but i think he could receive up to like 20 years in prison just for that so I wonder if the 28 counts, were they all state counts or was that a combination of state and federal counts? I think that was just state. Of possession. Okay. I thought maybe if it was both, it would explain why it was a higher number, but yeah, I don't know. I tried not to focus too much on him because, of course, we always right. want to focus on the victims. But I mean, it's just, it, he's insane. <laughs> I don't know how you else can to say put that it. again. I think there's got to be a stronger word out there somewhere, but you're the linguist, not me. Uh, Jennifer, uh, Cassie's cousin, mentioned that a burn barrel on Stinko's property was searched. 
I called him Stinko, not her, but hit on his property was searched multiple times. Investigators spent a lot of time asking Jennifer's mother, who was Cassie's aunt, what brands of clothing Cassie wore. And I guess Cassie and her aunt were the same size and they would share clothing and shoes. But the investigators and the aunt spent like hours on this topic. So Jennifer speculates that they may have found women's clothing, maybe in the burn barrel or whatever, Right. like which is what I would also assume. But unfortunately, she doesn't have those answers. It's just speculation is based on what she's seen. And that was a while ago. So they really I know investigators are holding some things very close to the chest, even for my family. But that's got to nag at you. Like, why are you asking all these questions? And then you're not going to tell me what you found. Like, Why are we spending hours talking about clothing? Yeah. And then never talking about it again. Exactly. Jennifer also mentioned something significant about Cassie's dog. She believes that Stanko had the distraction of her dog Baxter planned. So Cassie didn't own a dog crate. Baxter was found far from her home and a dog crate containing white dog fur, Baxter was white, was found on Stanko's property. But Stanko didn't have a dog. So did they, do you know if they like pulled the hair from it and if they could compare even like breed that it would match Baxter? I don't know what you can do with dog fur. Yeah, I have no idea. And I'm pretty sure still with human hair, can't you only say that it's microscopically similar or have they gotten more specific with that? You know, I think this came up. I don't remember if it was while we were recording or while we were just talking about another case, but I think it's just microscopically similar. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if like with dog hair, you could even get close to like a breed or true something like that. Because um, I know like moose and peach have very different fur. Yeah. So. True. But moose is a psycho and peach is a. Psycho. Apparently, <laughs> well, she's also a psycho, but. She's apparently a desired breed. So. Yes, she's that. Uh, she's a hug. She's a husky <laughs> hug, I and that is that. actually what they call them. But she doesn't like when I hug her, so it's not. Fair. I absolutely would have gone pugsky over hug, nope. but I think hug. hug is adorable. I know, so cute, right? But yeah, Jennifer was just pointing out that you know Cassie didn't own a dog crate, so. You know, he kind of you would kind of have to maybe have one to move Baxter around. And then one was found on Stanko's property. So it's like, that's pretty suspicious. Right. And I don't don't bring the dog into it. Like, I just. Yeah. This is terrible. A terrible, terrible thing that happened to her and her family. It's just like, don't bring the dog into it. Like, you couldn't just let the dog be at home. Yeah. God. The blind and diabetic dog. You're going to really? Come on, asshole. So Thomas Stanko has only ever been named a person or had only ever been named a person of interest until late last year when police said they were prepared to charge him with the murder. Unfortunately, he's still waiting for sentencing on the federal gun charges. So they're not charging him at this time, which I was like a little bit confused about. Are they just trying not to clog up? that system or whatever i don't that's what i'm wondering um i also wonder if he is awaiting sentencing but has already pled or been found guilty whatever you know whether it was a trial or he pleaded guilty i wonder if because it's already between 
um, like a guilty verdict and sentencing and he's in the process if you can't break that process. But I also wonder if those are federal charges and I wonder if the murder charge would be state. Mm -hmm. And so maybe the fact that it's two different courts would Mm -hmm. also affect the way that they go about pressing multiple charges. That's true. I just I'd never really thought about that. I mean, and I would think murder trumps guns. Sure. <laughs> but um, I mean, like I said, if he was already through the the pleading process and was awaiting sentencing, it might be because he's partway through. This is one that um, when Trish listens, she'll text me and tell me mm-hmm. what the actual right way to do this process is so oh okay uh, Thanks, Trish, Trish go ahead and text me with what the answer is to this question yeah and you know what I'm thinking I was like wow it's been such a long time because they found these weapons almost four years ago and he's still awaiting sentencing but also COVID slowed COVID. the courts down significantly right. so I could have something to do with it too but it's just a bummer stronger word right. than bummer but you know what I'm saying right So though her body has not been recovered, investigators say that there is an overwhelming amount of evidence pointing to Cassie being deceased, including the fact that she has not accessed her bank accounts or retirement funds or used her credit cards since she went missing. I saw an article from last year where her mother, Kathy, said she believes that Cassie's body was burned based on her own searches. And I'm not really sure what that means exactly but i'm sure she was purposely vague about it so she's not compromising the investigation but it said it was based on searches that she led and i'm assuming she doesn't think the body was burned in the car because they would have found that something and you can't completely burn up a body. You would find some something, some fragment. I, I wonder if maybe the burn barrels were somehow involved. You know, they were checking burn barrels, asking about the clothing. I wonder if that thought is kind of that maybe, and I, I hate to say this, but like maybe she was cut into pieces across multiple burn barrels um because i feel like earlier when you were reading through and telling about checking those barrels i think you said there was more than one or maybe i just there was more than one property but i believe there was just the burn barrel that they checked multiple times multiple times okay yes so i mean maybe there was something in there that seemed suspicious but not that they could actually pull dna or anything from i mean i don't know i wonder if you could burn enough enough other things in the barrel with a body that it would like if you put a bunch of newspaper or food or you know like whatever else or like an animal like would that maybe just distract from human remains sure potentially but i just have it does seem it does seem like there's a lot of burning involved right like in the car we've got this burn barrel and i mean out in that area you're close to pittsburgh but you're not center city and there would be a lot of places that people would probably just have burn barrels yeah there's a lot of more like open space and yeah. parks and yeah. open areas. So, yeah, definitely. It's just that little blurb just intrigues me just because yeah. it and it was like her own 
search, I guess. Um, but I get the feeling from different articles through the years that Kathy is kind of like, quote unquote, over it, as in like the police seem to have hit a standstill and she yeah. maybe feels like nothing will ever be done to find Cassie's body if she doesn't do it herself. She just seems kind of like, like, I can't imagine being in her position. She's just like, she needs answers. I know we talk about a lot of cases too that are, you know, 20, 30, 60 years old. And this one's only four years old, but that's still four years of not knowing. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make it better because it's only four years. I mean, three days of not knowing something is hell. So imagine four years of not knowing what happened to your daughter, even though she's legally declared dead. Yeah. She's described it as hell herself. So, which seems fitting. Yeah. But you never want to bury your child. I mean, and she never even got to. I was going to say she couldn't even, she hasn't. Right. So Cassie also left behind a son, daughter-in-law and two nephews who I'm sure miss her terribly and all her friends and family deserve answers. So I'm going to put this description on the blog too, obviously, but um, just so you guys can get kind of a picture. She uh, is a white female, medium length blonde slash strawberry blonde hair, blue eyes, pierced ears, glasses. She's about 5'5 and 150 pounds. And she's so pretty. Like I just, I don't know, maybe that's creepy to say, but she's just like such a pretty woman and she's such a shame yeah she was wearing a black and white turtleneck sweater blue jeans and knee-high boots and she was carrying a beige coach purse and i'll post her missing poster on our blog uh, along with additional photos so special thank you to jennifer cassie's cousin who kindly shared information with me for this podcast and i also got a lot of my information from articles from trib live which is like a western Pennsylvania news source. So anyone having information on this incident is asked to anonymously contact the Pennsylvania Crime Stoppers at 1-800-4PA-TIPS, or you can go online and do that as well. Or you can call the Pennsylvania State Police at 724-832-3288. And there is currently a reward of $10,000 for any pertinent information. Hey, it's Chelsea. And hey, it's Grace. And I have just kind of a second quick short story for you guys today. Unfortunately, I couldn't find a lot of information, but it is this story of Shirley Mae Saxon. Um, And just the name makes me kind of sad because my grandma's name is actually Shirley Mae. So it just kind of (laughs) jumped out at me. That's so sad. I know. I'm sorry. I know. Um. And yeah, I I couldn't find a lot on this, but I want to get as much information out as I could find. So Shirley Mae Saxon's home in Perry Township uh, slash Uniontown, which is in Fayette County, burned down in 1997. Her body was found inside and the fire was ruled in arson by the state police fire marshal. Her 40-year-old boyfriend denies having anything to do with the fire or her death and refuses to cooperate in the investigation. Unfortunately, the status of her case is officially cold, which means that no one's even really working on it right now. So two different fires claimed two lives in the early morning hours of Sunday, May 4th, 1997. 
In both cases, Fayette County Coroner Philip Riley said that the victims died of smoke inhalation. Firefighters were called just after midnight to a building leased by Laidlaw Transit of Smithfield, where they found the body of 47-year-old William Carlton Barton. At first, it wasn't clear if the two incidents were related, but it turns out that William Barton actually set the fire that he died in because he was trying to rob the place, which turned out just to be a storage shed on a school bus lot. And his car was found outside the building still running when first responders arrived, which is like wild to me. Like it sucks. He died from smoke inhalation. So he he died from the fire, which is a terrible death. But he was trying to rob it and set the place on fire and died inside. It is pretty bizarre. Yeah, it just sounds like one of those like stupid criminal stories. Like all I can imagine is him lighting like the entrance on fire and being like, damn. Yeah, <laughs> like it's not funny, but I couldn't help but be like, huh, that's that sucks. Yeah. It's so weird. I don't know. And what is... There was no thought process at all. No, and what's in a storage shed on a school bus lot? That's a good question. Like car car parts, bus parts that you could sell, I guess. But there's got to be better places to rob. I don't know. Yeah. But that's just me. Weird. And like, who do you sell bus parts to? I have no idea. Black market um, bus dealers. I don't know. <laughs> But so it turned out that there was no relation to Shirley's case, just two completely different fires. One started by apparently a dumb criminal. So Shirley's case was markedly different. She had just moved into her home a few months prior, having retired from a hospital in Morgantown, West Virginia. And her home was actually owned by her mother and was a converted pool hall. I was like, cool. (laughs) Weird. Yeah. So that's where she was living. Um, her body wasn't found until the flames were totally extinguished. So we know that can cause to um, like evidence to be destroyed. And I mean, when firefighters go in their their goal is to put the fire out and to save anyone that may be inside. So especially if they don't know that someone's in there, they're going to, you know, trample everything. And, you know, their goal is to put the fire That's out, and not preserve evidence. So I'm sure a lot of it was lost. Police say they know where the fire originated within the home, but won't release the information since the investigation is ongoing. So I have a feeling they know like a lot more than what they released. But I would think so. Yeah, but it's obviously still cold. So all I can really gather about Shirley's life is that she graduated from Perry High School and went on to become a nursing student. She was a bright student and her hobbies were musical, possibly including dance. And I believe I'm looking at information on the same person, but it's it's very difficult to tell when there's so little. It was mentioned in one article that she was drinking heavily by the end of her life. And she also had that young boyfriend that I mentioned who would not cooperate with police, um, which is always interesting to me. But... I'm not going to mention his name just because he was never officially listed a suspect or anything like that. Well, I'm confused. I mean, these fires were at midnight. Where was he? Did he have like an overnight shift or why wasn't he there? Were they not living together? Um, I believe they were living together, but 
that's kind of the extent of what I could find, unfortunately. Like they didn't, it's not really say that he, it's not really said that he was cleared from being a suspect, but it doesn't really list him as one either. So it's tough. And I tried to like look up arrest records and stuff and I did get some, but there's like two different people that it could be when I looked it up. Okay. It's like a difference of like a middle initial. And it seems like either one could potentially be him. And they both had like not really a violent record, a lot of like driving violations and stuff like that. It's, it's really difficult and hard to tell, you know, if you're looking at the right person. So unfortunately that's all I have, but if you have any information uh, regarding this incident, you're asked to contact the PSP Bell Vernon station at 724-929-6262 and asked to speak to Trooper Libram. Or you can contact the Pennsylvania Crime Stoppers um, if you have information on this crime or any serious crime or wanted person. You can call toll-free at 1-800-4PA-TIPS, or you can go online to do that as well. And all callers for Crime Stoppers will remain anonymous and could be eligible for a cash reward. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music by Darren Makins. Production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.